0: Well, good morning. My name is Daniel. It's my honor to teach uh, God's Word today. As the as the kids leave, uh, and this is my uh, very first sermon as uh, the lead pastor of Journey, and we could not be more. Excited to be here as a family. And before I jump in and get started, uh, we just want to say thank you. Uh, my wife's not here uh, today because we had a baby this week. And so, uh, so, and, and before anybody starts asking and inviting me in the lobby, I brought a picture. And so here is Miss uh, Sutton Joy. She was born Wednesday morning. Uh, and so, seven pounds, five ounces, and her and her mom are doing great. They're just resting at home today. Uh, excited to be a part of the festivities this afternoon, if you so choose to uh, come and join us. Um, and before, uh, I just, like, you, I know the question's going to get asked about, well, what did her brothers think? Because... Now our family's really easy to track because Rina and I will be married five years this June. We have a four-year-old dog. We'll have a three-year-old son, a two-year-old son. And now we have this one. And so uh, her brothers loved her. And so there's Wells meeting her for the very first time uh, on the couch after he woke up from his nap Friday. And then uh, Sabbath, her younger brother, uh, met her for the first time after he woke up from his nap. And there's another picture uh, there. And they are just overjoyed uh, to have a sister. Anybody who's came to our house or, or will over the next, couple of months, Wells and Savvy both like sister, and they have to point her out and, and show her to everybody. And so we're, we're excited that our family is expanding and a part of, uh, as well to be a part of the Journey family. Uh, and I don't want to say a thank you in passing, but I don't want to be very intentional about our thank you. Thank you guys for praying for us, uh, praying for whoever would uh, fill this position as lead pastor before you knew a candidate, a name, a family, anything. Uh, and thank you for coming out and just faithfully being a part of uh, Journey Church uh, through every high and every low. And, uh, and when meeting us for the very first time, we felt nothing but welcome and open arms uh, from the prayers, the text. Uh, and then when we came in with uh, a pregnant wife, two toddlers, and uh, me being caffeinated from driving over a thousand miles, there was a whole slew of people helping us move into our house, unpacking boxes, and doing uh, so many things. And we, we just really want to be uh, just, just overwhelmed with uh, gratitude and appreciation from all of you guys. And uh, for those of you I know, and those of you we don't know yet, I just want to say thank you. My family has filled uh, overwhelmingly, uh, Rena and I, my wife, have talked so many times about like, we just, we just don't know, like, Wow, these people are so amazing. These people are so nice. Uh, my, my wife jokingly said in the hospital, like, these people are nicer than I am. Like, And, like, <laughs> and uh, yeah, she, she's a saint. But uh, yeah, we're, we're just so blessed to be a part of uh, this journey family. So uh, that's not what this sermon's about. But if you have a copy of God's Word, uh, we'll be in John uh, chapter 6. I'm continuing on the series, This Changes Everything And to do a quick recap, uh, we're, we're rooting in John's gospel as we're marching towards Easter uh, in a couple of weeks. And we're specifically looking at in John's gospel, the seven signs, if you will. And in week one, Nathan preached uh, about the water into wine from uh, John chapter two, where Jesus at the wedding festival was, and John tells us that was the first sign, with, with the point being that Jesus is better. He, he satisfies us above all other things in this world and that we could ever partake of. And then in week two, Kevin taught us from John chapter four of the healing of the official son, with the point being that Jesus was looking for faith that wanted him not just what he could give to someone. And then last week, Nathan taught us again uh, from John chapter five on the healing at the pool of Bethsaida on the Sabbath day. And with the point being that Jesus is the only one who can bring true wholeness to our lives. And as we continue on, we uh, need a definition for sign. Every week, this has been said by both Kevin and Nathan, but I wanted to put it on a slide uh, form. And by definition, the word sign means this. It's something, or it's an event. This is literally just ripped from a Greek dictionary, okay? All right, straight from it. It's an event that is pointing to or confirming something else. It's pointing to or it's confirming something else. And John tells us he has arranged these specific signs for this purpose. John 20, verse 30. It's been read every week. It'll probably be read every week after, right? Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written for this purpose. Here's your purpose statement. These signs, they're an event that's confirming something else. So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And by believing, you may have life in his name. That's the point. That's what John is trying to get us to see as he both organizes these signs in his book and writes his gospel all together. He's trying to get us to see Jesus as the one, the one who can bring genuine life in our lives and for the next and the passage we're diving into today that you've already heard read is the feeding of the 5,000. It's super popular. We've heard numerous sermons. If you've gr- grown up in church, you've probably heard it in kids' church and Sunday school and preaching. You've heard many different sermons on this passage and there's been different application points or focuses about this. But if we have this in the back of our mind, that this is a sign that John wants us to see Jesus for who he is, then that's the point. So how does this text point us to seeing Jesus for who he is. That's what we're going to dive into. But a small teaching, uh, rabbit trail. I'm just going to go ahead and acknowledge this is a rabbit trail really quick, but it's in my notes, so it's not very much a rabbit trail, okay? And so what's confusing about this, some of your Bibles, depending on translation, may have different uh, headings over the different signs. And you may go through this and be like, well, I count way more than seven in this. Well, it's complicated because John actually uses the word sign 17 different times in his gospel. And in fact, Nathan and I were talking about this this week on the phone and he was reading in John chapter two where where Jesus, uh, John writes this about Jesus after the first sign. So after the first sign at the end of chapter two of John, it says this, it says, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing, plural. So there were more things that Jesus did in that setting but John only told us about one. So then it reinforces this fact that John is being very intentional at why he chooses which accounts because Jesus did way more stuff than just these seven things or just these key events. But these are the ones John is zeroing into to get us to see Jesus for who he is. Now let's dive into our passage. The account of feeding the 5,000. This miracle which is one of the only miracles included in all four gospels other than Jesus' own resurrection. And it starts off like this. Verse one, we're gonna jump into. It says, after this, so after the events of chapter five, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs. There was again, multiple, the plural. He's doing many things that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, And there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews was at hand. So John gives us some context about where Jesus is on a map. He's on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And he also gives us context about where they are on a calendar. And last week, uh, Nathan pointed out that we're not really sure the events of chapter five. But if uh, if we just back up to whatever the last festival was... About six months has fast forward. So if it was the feast of the booze in chapter five, per se, we don't really know. But if we fast forward to the Passover, we do know where that is on the Jewish calendar. So about six months has transpired between chapter five and chapter six of John. We know that the Passover feast is at hand. And Passover was something that Jewish people, ever since the book of Exodus, when God rescued his people out of the land of slavery, out of the land of Egypt, through his servant Moses, through wonderful works of doing 10 uh, plagues eventually with parting the Red Sea in Exodus uh, chapter 14, we, they've been celebrating this. The Jewish people have been celebrating about when God rescued them in a dramatic and huge way. And it's the Passover where God passed over them and punished the people who were persecuting them, punished the people who were putting them in slavery. And they've been celebrating it ever since. And this is the context where Jesus finds him. The Passover is at hand and there's this large crowd gathered up and they're looking for a prophet. We see that in verse 15 at the end of this passage that they're looking for the one who would come in the way of Moses. They're looking for that one. And so in the back of our minds, when we read all of John chapter 6, I want you to think about the story of Exodus, the story of the Passover, where God redeemed his people in a dramatic way and passed over their sins through the angel of death because they trusted in the words of Moses that were the words of God to kill, uh, sacrifice one lamb and spread the blood over their door frames of their houses. Have that in the back of your mind when you're thinking about this context, because apparently John thinks it's important because he gives us this reference point. In the back of our mind, think about the Passover and the, the whole story of Exodus, the person of Moses. Because Jesus in his own words, saw Moses in the background of his own earthly ministry and that Moses was just a shadow of Jesus. In fact, in John 5, at the very last two verses, if you can see there in your physical copy of God's word, Jesus is telling these people who are listening to him, for if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, you will not, how will you believe my words? So Jesus, in fact, is seeing us in this context of Moses has something to do with this. The story of God's people in the Old Testament have something to do with this. In fact, in these two short verses, Jesus is affirming our Old Testament, seeing value that it is God's word as much as the New Testament is. And in fact, his own words, Jesus' own words are God's words. And now we get this fourth sign. So it's like, why is this all in the backdrop? Well, you'll see it when we see what Jesus does. The fourth sign happens like this. Verse five, lifting up his eyes, And in seeing the large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Now he said this to test him for he knew himself what he would do. (coughs) Philip answered, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. Now one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother said to him, there's a little boy here with five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many. I want you to notice the characters that are in this scene that Jesus turns to Philip after he notices the crowds. So Jesus notices this crowd of 5,000 men plus their family. So we have no idea how many, but a large bunch of people are gathered up on this mountainside with Jesus and his disciples. And Jesus, in this miracle, he already knows what he's going to do. He already knows he's gonna feed these people. And, but he's instead, before just going ahead and doing it, he turns to Philip. He says, Philip, how can we feed these people? Where are we to get enough bread? They, they've seen Jesus multiply water into wine and, and feed people at a, at a wedding festival. They've seen people heal. Uh, they've seen people, Jesus get healed, healing people. They've seen Jesus do these miracles and many other signs that we don't know about yet. So there's this context in the back of fa- background of faith that Jesus is needing his disciples to have. And he wants to have them engaged in this miracle. He's offering them an opportunity to be a part of what God is doing. And we're no different today. God is always offering us to be a part of what he's doing, asking us to be his hands and feet in our homes, in our city, in our workplace. But Philip takes the easiest road. He's logical. He's like me, he's like many of you. He's like, Jesus, I've been doing my taxes. And not a whole year's salary could feed these people. 200 denarii, a denarii was about one day's wage. And if you factor in like the Jewish calendar, days off, that's about what he would make in a year. So I couldn't give you my whole year's salary. And these people would just get a little bit. It's like splitting the, like a four piece McNugget meal. Like and we'd have to like cut each nugget and like, okay, you get a little bit. You get, and it wouldn't even do that. Jesus, it's, it's hopeless. We can't feed these people. And if you read other gospel accounts, it's where some of the disciples are murmuring among themselves, like just tell them to go home and feed themselves. Tell them to take care of it for themselves. So Philip, apparently he wasn't good. And then we have Andrew. Man, I love Andrew in this. I've studied on this and thought about Andrew's response here and just wonder, I can't wait to ask him one day, like, what was he thinking in this moment? Is he cynical? Is he trying to be funny? Is he filled with faith? And I don't really know. But, but he comes up with a little boy that he's found. I don't know if the little boy came to him first or whatever the case would be, but he's like, hey, uh, I found this little boy and he's got a lunch. He's got like five pieces of bread and like two fish. Uh, but I, 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 I mean, this is not enough to feed these people though. Like, I don't know what you're gonna do with that. <laughs> and that's the moment that Jesus chooses to do the miracle. We know in verse six that he's already knows, I'm doing this, but it's in that moment that Jesus says, I'm moving, I'm working, I'm doing it right there. That's the moment. And this is what Jesus says. He turns to his disciples and says, have the people sit down. And there was much grass in the place. So the the men sat down, about 5,000. That's where we get the number, 5,000 men. And then their families, obviously, with them and on top of that. And then Jesus took the loaves. And when he had given thanks He distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish as much as they wanted. So Jesus said, have the people sit down. And John highlights for us that he took the bread and he did something with it. He gave thanks over it. Other passages say he broke it and gave thanks. But John wants us to really zero in for some reason on the giving thanks. Because later on in verse 23 of chapter six, the people are going to reference the spot of the miracle as the place where Jesus gave thanks. So there's something happening here over Jesus blessing this thing. And for all of you who still like to pray over your food and give thanks, this is exactly what this is talking about. It's this Old Testament principle of just simply being grateful for a meal that God provided. And Jesus, he blesses this little boy's lunch and multiplies it. And other scholars talk about the implications of Jesus. He's also, he's almost using like Lord's Supper communion language because there's something more happening than simply Jesus feeding some people a meal so they can be satisfied. There's more in the background because what happens is look at the end of verse 11, he gave them as much as they wanted. And effectively, this word means to literally fill up effectively. To simply say it plainly, they were satisfied. They ate as much as they wanted. And in fact, they were so satisfied and they were so pleased with this meal that at the very end in verse 14, let's jump all the way down to verse 14. It says, when the people saw this sign that he had done, it is, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world, perceiving that they were going to about to come and take him by force and make him their king. Jesus withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Well, who's this prophet? This is the prophet of Moses. Deuteronomy 18, 15, God told Moses that he says, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, Moses teaching the people from your brothers and it is him you shall listen to. Like this is the guy. They notice it for whatever reason, they're like, oh my goodness, it's Passover, Moses the bread there was a manna that fell down from heaven like this is him like nobody else has done anything like this in our history like this is him this is the prophet like Moses he's our king let's get him like we're in so much Roman oppression right now like let's make him be our king and he's our answer he's doing exactly what we want he's feeding us and he can lead us out of this Torment of slavery, bondage from Rome, this taxation, like let's get him, make him our leader. But Jesus slips away. He he slips the coverage, if you will, because he knew these people and their hearts, he didn't want, they didn't want him as their king. They wanted what he could do for them as their king. So this begs me the question of my own heart is, And to ask all of us is, do we follow Jesus for what he brings to our lives? Do we follow Jesus for what he can bring to your life? Is that why, our motivation, if you will, of following Jesus? Because deep down, if we're being honest, we're like, I need to be obedient to God. Because if I'm obedient, I'll get a good job. My kids will do well. They'll go to college. They'll get a good job. If I follow God, my my kids will behave. That's kind of the mode I'm in right now, right? I have toddlers. They can have some nice friends. Come to church every now and then, drop a few bucks in the offer and pray. As long as we're good, like I'll follow God. As long as he brings good to my life. This is the motivation these people had. Like take him as king. He gave us the bread. Or second option, do you follow Jesus for who he is? Let's think about this sign in context, if you will, of the Passover, of Moses, of the book of Exodus and what happened. If you think about that story, if you don't, I'll just tell you a Cliff Notes version of it, you can read the book of Exodus later. But God rescues his people out of the land of slavery, out of the land of Egypt, and then they're wandering in the wilderness. And then the people start complaining. Like Moses, we're hungry, Egypt was better. So Moses goes to God and he's like, God, God, these people are really, really complaining. Like toddlers in the backseat in a minivan, okay? Like they're really hungry. They keep yelling snack. And God's like, I got them. And he sends manna from heaven, these crispy flakes, like frosted flakes every morning, all right? But the people could only get what they needed. They could only get what they needed because if they took too much for their family, if they tried to get leftovers in that used Cool Whip container they would spoil and they would have maggots in them. They had to trust God that the next day he was gonna do what he, they needed to. The next day and the next day and the next day. Just take what you need. But Jesus said, take as much as you want. To have your fill. With Moses in the wilderness, every morning they would go away. After the people gathered what they needed, it was just like it would disappear. It was gone. But with Jesus there were leftovers, there was more than enough. And in the midst of this, these people are seeing this thinking like, wow, this guy's better than Moses. They got it, but they, they sold themselves short. Because in the midst of this, Jesus is feeding them and they ate their fill. So verses 12 and 13 teaches that they had more than enough, but then Jesus slips away and averts from them. And then later on he he walks on water to his disciples because he puts his disciples in the boat and said, go to the other side of the sea and I'll meet you over there. And he walks on water, he does that miracle. We don't have time to talk about all that. We'll talk about that later. And then this crowd gathers up on the other side and they're like, hey, where'd you go? You were trying to do something there. And they start having this dialogue, this discourse back and forth And these people, like a few days removed from this miracle, have the audacity to ask Jesus, like, hey, if you're better than Moses, Moses gave the people manna in the wilderness. What sign can you do for us? Did you forget about the fact that I fed 5,000 of you with five loaves of bread and two fish? Like, did you miss that? And that's the moment where Jesus simply says, I am the bread of life. That's the moment Jesus chooses to say, I'm the bread, I'm the bread, better than Moses, I'm no pushover, better than Moses, like, I'm not leading you the way you want, I'm leading you for the way you need to be led, now Moses was an amazing leader in the Old Testament, but he had his flaws, in his worst moments, he doesn't trust God, he he does what he wants, and what the people, what he thinks will impress the people, And often it leads him to this moment. I was reading in my daily Bible reading this week even that where Moses is told to speak to the rock, but he strikes it instead and God says, and because of that, because of your lack of faith, you're not going to the promised land. You didn't trust me. And Jesus comes as better than Moses, no puppet king. We don't come to Jesus with our agendas, with our slogans, with our demands, saying, I'll be your follower if... No, we cut ties. We cut all strings, no strings attached to follow Jesus because he says he's the bread. He's the fulfillment. John wants us to see in this moment that indeed Jesus is the king we need because he's not the king of this world. That he is a king worth following with our entire lives, with open hands, because he alone can overcome our hurts, our hang-ups, and our sin-filled hearts. You could say it like this in just one line that only Jesus brings us true satisfaction that we'll just be wanting more bread more bread more bread give us another sign Jesus and that's when Jesus speaks to our hearts and say I am the bread so what do we do with all this like what do we do with all of this swirling around with Jesus like do we need to be the little boy with our fish and bring it to Jesus like there's simple two applications here. The first one is this is that we really need to realize that from this text, this true story from the Bible, that Jesus can meet our physical needs. That Jesus can meet our physical needs, that he notices the people's hunger pains and he cares about them. That we see from Jesus' compassion when he notices the crowds in those early verses in chapter six that. Jesus cares about people who are wondering where their next meal is coming from. He cares. And he was inviting the disciples to also care, to also get involved in this. But it can be easily overlooked, this parallel between the bread that Jesus supplies and our physical needs. Because God wants to meet them. In fact, he can choose to meet them, but he doesn't have to. It doesn't make him less good or, or it doesn't make him better when he does, but he can. And sometimes God chooses to meet those needs by providing us to have a good job, providing a means to, for us to su- support ourselves. In Deuteronomy, it, we're told that God tells the people that it is I who gave you the ability to do this job. So it's, it's mine, all, all of us, all, all those pieces are. But God also calls his people, the church, to meet both physical and spiritual needs of those who are hurting. And we can't neglect one of those. We're called as God's people to care about the things God cares about, to meet both physical and spiritual needs. We can't neglect that of our community. But if we only focus on the physical in in our own lives or out in our community, we'll miss it because we'll never be satisfied personally nor lead others to meet true satisfaction. Because Jesus alone, only Jesus can bring us true satisfaction. So I want to talk about your relationship with your stuff. What is your relationship with your stuff? Your finances, your talents, your time, your treasures. Do you have true, genuine contentment around those things? Do you have contentment right now in what Jesus has given you and you can simply, like Jesus, over some bread, give thanks. From an honest place in who you are, say thank you. Not looking for more, not looking for bigger, not looking for better, simply thank you. Thank you, God, for what you've provided for me, a genuine thanks. From a heart that knows only Jesus brings me true satisfaction. But thank you, God. For a house to sleep in, nice bed, it works, a good meal. When we pray over our food, what I've uh, started this habit, that just from I heard another uh, communicator say this, but thanking God intentionally for, I got to pick where I got to eat. You didn't just give me food, but you let me pick what I got to eat. Like just acknowledging the simple things that God allows us, a simple thank you. And then the second, if we move in this, if we have what we need, do we go to try to serve others? Are we actively looking to meet needs around us for opportunities that God puts in front of us to be engaged in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our cities, and in ministries here at Journey? Are we looking for the brokenness in our world and asking the question, God, how do you want me to engage this to be your hands and feet to help make it whole? Because that's the invitation that God places on each one of us who claim to be Jesus followers. A agent for change in our world, leveraging the things that we have, the time, the talent, and the treasures. To be God, I want to be your hands and feet. I want to help make, bring wholeness into this situation with both physical and spiritual needs. And then the question is, is, do you give from what you have? Through your time, your talents, your finances, do we we give because only God deserves the glory and the credit? And in the midst of this is Philip wouldn't have got any of the credit. Andrew doesn't get credit for bringing that boy. Jesus is the one who multiplied, but it was through that obedience that Jesus chose to engage in that moment. And the next one is this. So thinking about those things that Jesus can choose to meet our physical needs, but only he is to true satisfaction. Here's the second one is... Only Jesus can meet our spiritual needs. Only Jesus can meet the needs of our sin and right relationship with God because of our sin. In our day, many people, they wanna be spiritual yet not religious. And we'll hear our, our teenagers and our college students hear things like this. Like, it doesn't matter how you get to God, just as long as you get there. And that's false because Jesus also says in John's gospel, I am the way, the truth, and life. Only, only come to the Father through me. And if you claim to be a Jesus follower right now in this room or wherever you may be in your life, I want to ask you the simple question. Is your motivation in following Jesus because who he is? Like, what are the agendas that you're trying to tag onto Jesus's name? Because like, hey, I want you to be about this. Like, this is what I want. This is what I need. Yet Jesus, and when the crowd does this, he flees from them. He leaves them. He's like, nope, not like that. And every time in my heart, I want Jesus to be about something or I want this. He redirects my life. He redirects my focus and reminds me again that he alone is true satisfaction. And I should be following him as the true leader. So in your life, in the spiritual needs of you, if you're a Jesus follower in this room, like where have you tried to attach things to Jesus where he's like, nope, not like that? And if you don't have anything, are you looking? Are you listening in your life? And if you're in this room right now and you don't claim to be a Jesus follower, let me say that point again. Only Jesus meets our spiritual needs. The brokenness, you have brokenness in your life, I have brokenness in my life because of sin, And that separates me from God. Because I'm separated from God, I need to hear the words that Jesus says that he is the bread. He is true satisfaction. And if I come to him and take him as he is, as the bread of life, I don't have to look any further. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, we would love to introduce you to him after the service. You can find one of us at the welcome desk or uh, the prayer team will be down front. But our calling, our response in this moment is if Jesus is true satisfaction in our lives, how do we respond? How is he inviting us to engage with him and through him and join him where he's working, in our lives, in our homes, in our community? How can we engage with Jesus where he's already working in our, in our world? Because he was working, he, was, he had made the decision, I know what I'm going to do. He knew what he was gonna do, and yet he extended an invitation so that people could see him for who he is. In your life, have you seen him for who he is? And how does your life model that for other people that you come across every day, to point them to Jesus for who he is. I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna respond through song. Our prayer team's gonna be down front if you'd love for someone to pray with you or for you today. And our prayer is simple, that you would just see Jesus for who he is. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for this scripture text of sending your one and only son And God, our prayer is that you would give us eyes to see Jesus for who he is and what he can do in our life. That he and he alone is true satisfaction. God, would you allow us to not only hear these words, but believe them in our heart and respond and live in light of them. That we may see you for who you are and live in response and join you where you're working. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us?